This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result... You'll always be winning with muck delivery, just like Leicester City this season. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You are watching and listening to Chris and Lester to Live Die TV on YouTube and your favorite podcasts. Hi, everybody. Jerry Taggart here. Now, be sure to watch Chris and Lester to Live Die TV by subscribing on YouTube and following them on social media for all the latest Leicester City news and information. Come on, you foxes! You're watching Lester Till I Die TV. Watch us on YouTube. Listen on your favourite podcast platform. Or ask your smart speaker to play the podcast Lester Till I Die. Subscribe, like, follow and join in now. Right, Chris. All right there. All right the back. How the devil are you all? Welcome back. It's been absolutely... Oh... 52 minutes since we were last here. How are you all? Uh, if you're watching, you're so much better than last week's audience. I will tell you. We we were here about an hour ago doing the quiz with um, Brad, Adrian, I forget it, I think, and Craig. Uh, but this is the sensible show. We have. It's a, uh, well, I say sensible in the loosest possible terms. It's Lester Till I Die TV. It's X on the Pitch show. This is where you can watch and listen to us. Lester Till I Die. Subscribe, like, follow, and join in now. 
It is, I say, X on the pitch when we are joined uh, once again. And I am so grateful for him for coming on. And even more grateful for the fact that he keeps coming on, um, which, is, which is impressive. Um, X Leicester City defender and loose women's top totty. Please welcome him in, Julian. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Chris. How are you? Not so bad, thank you. So, how are you? Good. Good. I think I made page uh, three on Horse and Hounds this week, so that's a different <laughs> magazine to talk about. <laughs> I, I don't know how. I, there's nothing I can say that, that you couldn't you couldn't sue me for with that one. <laughs> I am going to stay clear of that one. <laughs> I want to see when when you uh, when you pin up boy on Golfing Monthly or whatever it is. <laughs> I'll actually buy a copy of that. <laughs> I I tried playing golf once and I was absolutely rubbish at it. Um, and I I hit the ball and a the problem is that I couldn't see where the hell the ball had gone. <laughs> <laughs> How you actually? I mean, I, you've got obviously an, an idea, I suppose, when you're good about the direction. But I hit this ball. It ended up in the drinks tent, which was like fifty yards, just down, the, just at the edge there. So it didn't go very far and didn't go very straight. And I think it was at that point, and that was on hole one. That I thought this is maybe not the game for me. Perhaps not, mate. Perhaps not. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it was sport, and if you've seen my body, then you know <laughs> nothing's the game for me. But um, have you had a good week? Uh, I've had a really good week. Uh, I went to watch uh, Rotherham, my first club that I played for, uh, yeah. against Bromley on Saturday in the FA Cup, and they look like they're a strong team this year. Rotherham, they've got a good squad together, and. Okay, it was Bromley, but they they had to do the job and they did it really well. So uh, that was good to see, and they've gone to the next round. Apparently, I've heard they've got a very charismatic manager. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know where you heard that from, Chris, but I can neither confirm or deny. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. I could not resist. But they they do look like they, they you know they're in a playoff position. You were saying, and I I do like because I suppose I still don't class Leicester as a big club, um, you know, in in the big scheme of things. I do like to see it when like the Brentford in the Premier League, and I'd love yeah. to see one of them come up. I don't know whether they've ever been uh, in the Championship or or the second tier before. But yeah, it, yeah, they have, they have, and the, the problem with Rotherham is they're a bit like Norwich, who were doing it a little bit higher, but they they get up to the championship and then they get relegated, right. and it's a bit of a yo-yo, and it's really difficult for them. Uh, and like I say, a lot, a lot like Norwich, um, which is you know, it's just a thing about budgets and finances and yeah, you know, all the other bits that come with professional football. Well, I I, I wish them I wish them all the best because, like I say, I do like to uh, to see those lot of clubs do well. Uh, shirt in honour of yourself, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate you know, that. I, I think I remember I, I, it well. I, I fill it well. I fill it out maybe a little bit better than uh, than on a picture of you, but they're not in the right places. I probably, <laughs> mainly around the gut. But I must admit, there's a picture of you. It's the one where you're walking out at Wembley. I know you're a little bit nervous on that picture. I think you've got the blue version of this I shirt. Am, yeah, 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 I'm thinking yeah. you're like you've got like. The, the, a mother that's bought you clothes to grow into. <laughs> like it's a couple of sizes. Too, or was that how they made them in those days? I don't know. I think, I think at that moment, I wish my mother was holding my hand. I was so frightened. But uh, uh, yeah, no, no, I remember it well. I've got a really good picture of that on my wall. So uh, fantastic yeah. memory. 
Having said that, though, of course, it was a it was a far cry from the old uh, budgie uh, snugglers from uh, the seventies. <laughs> My God, when you look back at that, how could you play in those? You know, <laughs> your legs wouldn't move. But uh, don't answer that. That's a rhetorical question. We don't want to go there. We don't do. Uh, but let's have a look. At what's coming up tonight? Leicester's defence yet again. Um, Oh, you're going to hate this. You're going to uh, be fed. We talk about this every week. Uh, we, we talk about Leicester every week. It goes with the show, whatever um, we've, we've actually managed to do in the game before. But again, more holes than a, a, a piece of Swiss cheese. Then we're going to be looking at the manager, Merry Go Round. And we're also then going to be looking at West Ham. Uh, could they do a Leicester? Uh, they're looking good at the moment and they've got a good win against Liverpool and then any questions that anybody's got stick them in the comments and we will bring them in uh, at the end if you've got time for Julian to answer and I would say quite, I don't mean quiz questions, that was earlier <laughs> but, uh, well, well actually I'll have to get Julian on the quiz, see if he knows anything about Leicester no I'll be interested. <laughs> but uh, let's start with um, Leicester's defence and we seem to be talking about this more and more regularly. I don't know if you saw the game uh, or managed to see it on Match of the Day at all, but again, we go one behind. Um, again, we, we seem to spring us into life for five minutes and we got the draw, but we can't keep a clean sheet. But what annoyed me was, as I'm looking, I don't know if you can see that at all, yeah. but... There's, we've got both the same number of players apart from the wall in the box there. It's the white ones that are attacking it, as in uh, Leeds. They're all ahead of the Leicester players, but nobody touches the ball. It goes straight from the kick, and it's not a superb goal, you know, in top bins in the corner. It's along the ground. Surely, surely a defender should be getting onto that. Well, from that graphic that you've just shown, shown the, the defenders are all the wrong side. So where you can see the ball is now, I'm not sure who that is there. It's a little bit blurred, but he should be yeah. that side of the Leeds player. The next uh, defender should be that side of the Leeds player, which means, uh, you know, again, you go right along and all the players should actually be, you know, um, ball mm. side uh, of the players. And it, it just looks awful. And it was such an easy goal that, you know, when it went in, you just think, you know, really, it's a nice enough strike, but, yeah. you know, it's the confusion that, you know, Schmeichel's there thinking is someone going to get a touch on it. So he doesn't go for it directly, which if he had it done, he would have saved it. And he's waiting for the, the, the other people to make a touch. But it's that fact that they're just the wrong side and that they're not marking correctly. And and that really is like absolute basic, basic bits of defending, which they don't seem to be doing, you know, well at all at the minute. And it, and it costs them dearly. Yeah. <sighs> We have a defensive coach, allegedly. I, mean, I don't know what he's doing, but like you say, it is the basics. And, you know, people are saying, you know, oh, we, we're missing Fafana, we're missing JJ. This stage last year, we had a hell of a lot more injuries. You know, we were playing Christian Fuchs, who was literally, bless him, love him to bits, but we were wheeling him on in a wheelchair virtually at the end. He played more games, you know, last season than he played in the previous three years put together. Whereas Morgan obviously coming to the end as well. And yet we weren't conceding goals like we are doing now. Is it zonal defending? Is that what's wrong? Should it be man on man? Or why isn't somebody surely or is somebody saying 
you know, setting them down at the end and going, and I know I asked you this last week, and do you practice defending at all as 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 a team mm-hmm. in, in training? But somebody should be down and, and and watching it, shouldn't they? And watching it back. They should be watching every bit, but that that there for for that not to be right from that clip that you've just shown or that frame that you've just shown, mm-hmm. it's it's honestly horrific. You know, for you know, if any if any defender walked on a, off the pitch and watched that back, and it'd be just like. You know where, where was I? Why wasn't I there? Because it, it's just it, it's the absolute beginnings of learning to be a defender. You get ball side of your man. You don't you know you don't mark him from behind. You get to that side of him. You should be able to cut out that. And they're all in the wrong position. And and it's not just one of them. It's all of them. You know uh, you know right across. Um, you know that that back line there, and it and it just leads to the goal. And it, it's that thing of do the you know do defenders on the pitch realise that every last little thing they do is important? You know, I coach my lads team who's under 15s, and I talk to them about passing the ball and making challenges, and just make every last thing you do important. And you know that's times by a thousand pro- for professionals. And in yeah. that instance, they've not done it. You know, they're in a Premier League game on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, sorry, and 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 not doing the jobs, and they concede a goal, and it should matter to them more, mean to them more, and they should get set up, you know, a lot better than they did before that free kick. I mean, are you a fan of zonal marking, or do you prefer sort of man to man? It's, uh, and I think we've, I think we've spoke, I think we've touched on this before, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I, I have, I've played, you know, man marking most of my career. It was just like, you know, the big lad picked up the big lad. You picked up the striker. You picked up the danger man. Uh, near the end of my career, when I went to Luton, uh, there was myself, a young lad called Gary Doherty, who went on to Norwich and Spurs, and Marvin Johnson, who was an old campaigner like myself, and we used to literally on the six-yard line, stand front post, near post, and middle of the six-yard box. But we attacked it, and we were very successful with it because we had this willingness to attack the ball. And what you see with zonal marking now is you'll always see a player looking to the other player saying, you should have done that, where he Mm. should have been proactive. And that if you don't get the right mentality in the right players... That's when it all falls down. What When that ball was in the air, so if there were the three of us along that six-yard line, two of us would be attacking it, and it was the loudest shout. that. And sometimes two of us would, you know, would go for the ball, but we were positive in attacking it. And I think you see the other side of defending now is the game's changed a lot, um, and it's the other, you know, he's going to attack it, so I, I don't have to. And you see such calamity in, in zonal marking. So it's not something I'd go with today. Like I say, in that instance, in that season at Luton, worked great for us, but we had the right mentality and the right personnel to do it. Um, but, you know, on what we're doing at Leicester at the moment, and it wasn't just that moment that you've shown, there were a couple of other instances in the game where the defending, you know, picking up bodies in the box was, was really, really poor. I mean, I, I'm obviously not a professional footballer. You can you can tell that by looking at me, you know. Um, but... You know, as zonal marking, so each player's got this area presumably that he has to to cover. So as an, you know, you you've got an attacker in your little box, if you like. If he runs into another area, do you let you let him go? And presumably another defender, because it's in another defender's area, has to pick him up. But then if he's running to his zone from behind, how the hell does he know he's there? Yeah, I think one of the problems with zonal marking at the moment is if you're if you're static and someone's active and they're moving from um, 
you know, maybe 10 yards away from you. They've got the run and the jump on you. But mm. And that's where you need. So with zonal marking, you do need your, even if it's your smaller players, actually stood up against them physically to stop that run on you. Um, and, and whether that happens or not, you know, I don't know. But I, I don't think in today's game there's many do it, and I don't think there's many that do do it are successful with it. Uh, and no. it just doesn't seem that they've got the right mentality to do it. Yeah. David, welcome along. We'll ask your question at the end when we do the fans' question. Uh, don't worry, we'll come back to that. But Andrew's just got one while we're on this subject. Um, Cags does seem to struggle a little bit without Evans. Um as a manager, do you stick with a defender even though, um, you know, if Evans is injured, surely, you know, you, you should be picking players that can stand on their own, if you like. You do, and it has been a strange one. And again, something we've, we've you know, we've seen this season is that, and, and I, you know, I, it was, I was a bit uh, sort of puzzled why we went to the formation that we did at the weekend because mm. what it does is it does allow Barnes to play and your other players to play but we've been stronger you know playing with the three and we could have played we could have started with the three um on on, on the weekend and whether it was because we were playing Leeds and how they played that was the reason for the change but the the thing with you know Sayuncu he, he looks unsettled this season and you know we've touched on this as well and I think Evans is just that person that taught is that voice of experience that will be non-stop chatting to him on the pitch. And and when he's not there, he's not got that. It, it, it probably ebbs the confidence out of him because Evans is his comfort blanket, if you like, because yeah. he knows when Evans is playing, he's constantly telling him where to be, where he needs to be, where he is. And when you haven't got the experienced players on the pitch around you and they're not talking as well to you, you can feel a bit isolated and a bit alone, and they don't, you know, quite gel together uh, together as a as a back line. So I can see where that's an issue now, and it's something that for me stood out since the start of the season. We mentioned before Vestergaard not had the best starts, even though we know he's a good centre half, and, and hopefully he needs to come, you know, sort of back into the team, and then we need the injuries back. But uh, and and again, where we spoke about last week, and I mentioned Kale for me, would have been perfect not to play with Evans, but yeah. to play when Evans isn't available because, yeah. you know, whatever you think about Kale, I think he's that calming, experienced influence on players around him. And I think he would have picked up, you know, when Evans isn't fit, you know, I think he would have picked up that mantle and I would have liked to have seen that. So when Evans isn't there, you know, we, you were left with a, um, not an inexperienced, you know, defence, but they just don't feel as confident because they haven't got that experienced voice around them talking to them and he will be non-stop throughout the game. Should, because uh, of course we brought in Ryan Bertrand, who's experienced himself, is it hard for him to take on that role if um, Johnny Evans isn't in? Because obviously he's being stuck out on the left, although obviously, again, so Intu plays on the left, but Ryan's sort of up and down the pitch a little bit more. Well, could he take that role on or should he take that role on with his experience? I think he could. And I think you'll see a few managers now. Um, you know, I think um, if you looked at um, uh, Spurs team at the weekend, it was uh, Davis, who was the left wing back, left back playing um, as the left centre half. And hmm. a lot of managers do look at that as having a one dominant centre half that they've always had. And then full backs either side of that, making the back three up. And I think, Bertrand's experienced enough to fit into that position. And then he would have that influence on, on the rest of the players that you would hope. So, 
you know, for me, that's definitely something I'd explore. Uh, as I always say, we're not on the training ground with the players and the manager, and we don't know this, no. you know, as a fact. But he, he's been around, you know, he's, he's done everything. Um, he, he should have that experience where he can guide, you know, the players around him. So, for me, it would look like an option. As a defender, when, when I mean, you know, the, the defence is going through a, a, a season like we're going through, one clean sheet. I mean, we know we had it, obviously, under Claudio and he, he bought them a pizza and we we mentioned this last week. But does it get to you as a defender? Do you start thinking, oh, God, you know, do the nerves get to you? Does the pressure get to you? Like, God, if we concede again this, you know, this game or or are you able to block it out and just do the best you can? It can do, and I, and I think fortunately when I was there, we, we never went on a, a really bad run. Although we did have mm. some difficult times, I remember going mm. away to Derby at the baseball ground, and, and you know we got beat, and it, it was like it just like an absolute disaster because you know we felt like we could win the game, but we actually didn't defend well. And sometimes that's not easy to explain. You you know yeah. you go out and you've played well the week before, probably against a better team, and then you go out and you you underperform against what you a posi- uh, an opposition that you think you know, you should be able to come over the top of. So, you know, sometimes football is a funny game like that. And I think, you know, for the players, like I say, it's been a really unsettled start. And I think, you know, two or three weeks ago, we felt like we'd got back into the groove. Uh, like I say, the back three came back into play. And I, I felt, I personally felt, we're sort of getting back to it. And then it just seems like, you know, like I say, the the formation was a change at the weekend. Whether that's something to do with it, I don't know. But looking back at last season, I'd, I'd, I'd want to go and replicate that and just get us into a comfortable space, whereas at the moment we don't seem to be in that space. Formations is something we'll, we'll, we, which was actually based on David's question, so we'll, we'll ask that uh, um, towards the uh, end of the show. Um, do we... Again, we'll talk about West Ham later on in the show, but do we have to sometimes accept that maybe... And I, I can't remember if I asked you this last week or, or, or earlier... This is just kind of like a reality season. You know, we've had two really good seasons, two fifth place finishes, an FA Cup win. You know, it's been, an, you know, Leicester has been amazing for us. And this year, there's more people that are vying for that position that we're going for, fourth, fifth, sixth sort of area. You know, Arsenal are coming back. Spurs are going to have Conte in. West Ham are being amazing. You know, uh, Brighton are, are proving everybody, you know, um, uh, wrong about them this season. Um, it, it, as I said, we've just got to say to this season, this is the season when we brought these new players in. We're going to get a bit of a reality check. Let's get settled in and, and go again next season. I think what's happening is, I mean, the, the, it evolves every year, the Premier League, and I think it is getting stronger and stronger. And like you say, you know, with the... Um, you know, Conte coming in, I mean, like, you know, pleased that Arsenal, not from our perspective, but pleased mm. that a club like Arsenal stuck with Arteta, they now seem to be getting the rewards for that. I, I think the thing that I would look at is that if you look at our team, and, and again, it, and I feel terrible talking about it because it, it just seems that we're not settled in the centre of defence at the back, because mm. if you look at the rest of the team, how many how many players in other teams would you swap with our players? You know, so for me, I wouldn't swap Telemans with anyone. 
and Didi, I think he's one of the best, you know, defensive centre mids in the league. You know, Samari, what a powerful athlete. Would you swap those players? You know, you've got Ricardo. Obviously, we've got, you know, JJ coming back. Vardy Mm -hmm. up front, Dakar in the wings. Madison, Harvey Barnes. You know, we're not we're not where we should be. So I get what you're saying about the are we, you know, is it like a a season where it is a reality check? You know, I don't think it is, but I think we've just not started well and we're really struggling to come from behind, which we thought we might be better chasing the pack because we have got a fantastic squad. And yes. when they do get it right, I can see us climbing the places like Arsenal have done. And you know, like you say, we're going to talk about West Ham and you know, they're you know. I won't say they're outperforming because I think they've got quite a good, strong 11 or 12. What they've got beyond that, I'm not so sure. And we've got a little bit of depth, but uh, we've had a faltering start. And if we get our act together, we can still compete. The funny thing is, and it was pointed out to me the other day, we we say, definitely I do, I get drawn into this, that, oh, only another point against Leeds. These are teams we should be beating, et cetera, et cetera. But we're only two points behind Man United in sixth. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, people talk about Leeds. They had a great season last season. We all know they're an unbelievable team uh, to play against. Um, you know, the tempo of the game at the weekend just looked, you know, it was ridiculous. It was so, so quick. But we seemed to want to match them for that. And I thought, we, you know, we did it. And it was great to get the goal straight away. Having said that, they, they maybe had the, the better chances. But we know they're a good team. Again, they're another team that's just had a bad start. You know, we can look at all the teams in the in the lower end of the table, and some of them maybe deserve to there, but to be there, but some of them definitely don't, and I think they're one of them. And we're languishing in a place that we shouldn't be in, but you know, we need to start putting some results together. And our, our thing is, like you've said, is conceding it. It's definitely that back line. I don't know how they they sort it out. Vestergaard needs to step up, but if he's you know if he's he's coming to a team that's not started well, so there's a confidence issue there. You know, Amarty. I think he plays well in some games and some games he doesn't. And again, I've always said it about Fafana, you know, same with Amarty, young player, you're going to get an eight or nine out of 10 performance. And then the next week you might get a four or five out of 10 performance. And it it just seems a bit mixed and a bit muddled at the moment. And uh, if that settles down at the centre of our defence, we could go on and, and really climb the table and have a good season. But I think for me, that is like the, it's like the priority at this moment in time. I mean, Andrew said there, thank God for a Marty. I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but, it, you know, this is how things change. You know, for, he he was never the most popular defender, but he's probably our most consistent one at the moment. But I think the thing for me is, Man United, not Man United, sorry, Liverpool were sort of bemoaning last season with the injury to, to um, Virgil van Dijk. And it did affect their whole season. And we always yeah. say, or I always say, like, you know, one player doesn't make a team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he his injury did have a huge impact on their season, just like Fafana is in a way mm. for us. Absolutely, Chris. And you can get you can take that back a season before when Man City romped the league and then Laporte's out for a long time. Otimendi leaves or it wasn't a great fan of his. But then, and they didn't have Diaz at the time. And all, all of a sudden, it was the centre of the defence was absolutely crooks to everything that they did. And Liverpool go and win the league. And then you go the next season, and Liverpool have got injuries to Matty. Obviously, they want to, you know, Van Dijk, uh, to Gomez. And, and then Man City come back and win the league. And it just mm-hmm. seems so crucial that if you've got that strength in the centre of your defence, 
and you're keeping clean sheets, you've got you've got half a chance of doing something really good. And the, and those two big teams have suffered, and, it, and you know that's where we're suffering now. Well, no doubt we will be returning to this topic at some point <laughs> during the season. I feel, but um, moving on uh, to to number two, uh, the manager merry-go-round. There has already been more sackings this season, and we're only in November than the whole of last season. Uh, I mean, the you know the managers that have gone when you look at them is. Uh, Munoz from Watford in October, 3rd of October. And, well, we, we, we all know that that was a stupid decision, but that's Watford for you. Newcastle on the 20th, which we kind of knew that was coming, bless him. Uh, talk about a condemned man. Uh, Espirito Santo, he went on the 1st of November. Um, Daniel Farke, I mean, you know, you win a game, you get sacked. Even winning the game doesn't keep you a job these days. Uh, and obviously Dean Smith at Aston Villa lost five on the trot and he went a couple of days ago. We're going to come on to sort of Eddie Howe in a bit, but how much is it the manager to blame? I'm looking at Daniel Farke and, you know, is he being backed enough to be successful? And, you know, some because I just think that, you know, he's got them up twice but he's taking them down twice. Is that his fault or is that he's just not getting the backing from the board, which we know he's not in a way. And you're always going to have this. And can anybody go into to Norwich and, and improve them? Uh, I'm not sure they can, if I'm honest. And I've seen some of the names banded about and I think it's going to be, you know, a real tough job unless, you know, the, the, the owners at Norwich start to, you know, put their, their hands in the pockets mm. because, I think what what bemuses me about that situation is it's been that situation for a few years now. So why are they all of a sudden gone? Oh, this is not acceptable. Uh, when they've romped the championship, you know, last season, you know, they're struggling again now. But they've done that before and they've gone back down and they've all accepted it. And I've always felt that you know, again, we talked about this last week, but correctly or not, you know, Norwich seem like this family club that are quite accepting of the fact that. They're going to get promoted. They're going to find it really, really difficult. Hopefully, they can stay up. Oh, they haven't done. They've come back down. He's taken mm. them back up again, which is, you know, it's not an easy task in the no. championship when you're going back down to it. You know, we've seen a lot of clubs fall by the wayside. and the, But it's like the, the owners at Norwich have accepted it. And then all of a sudden, they've gone, right, we don't want that anymore. So whether they've had a discussion with someone else, I don't know. The decision would have already been made before the game, which is, again, and I've, I've encountered that in my career, and I think it's absolutely awful and disgusting. Uh, and he's actually won the game. Uh, and then, you know, there might be a bit of hope there, but the players are playing for him. You know, I saw the performance the other week against Chelsea, and I, and I think I said at the time, it looked awful. It looked like they'd given up. And then you think it really has gone and what are they doing there? And then, lo and behold, they go and beat Brentford, who I think are a really good team and have started really yeah. well. And it was a really passionate performance. It looked like the players were up for it. They're with the manager. The manager does the, you know, the post-match. And he's really buzzing and saying, do you know what? Don't, you know, don't discount us because we're going to have something to say this season. And you feel like there's a lot of positive there. And then they sack him, which was obviously already a done deal. So, yeah. for me, you know, whoever they're bringing in, well, they would have already spoken. So, it's, uh, that's unfortunately how football is. But a really strange one for me, if I'm honest. 
we know managers are always going to take jobs, no matter how much of a poison chalice we know those jobs may be. You know, you 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 take the Chelsea job on, for example. You know, you know it. You're not going to last your contract. You know, you, yeah. you go to Man United, you can win the FA Cup and still get sacked. You live on the on the payoffs. I mean, Tottenham Hotspur, for example. You know, they they got their eighth ninth choice, got him in. Everybody could probably see that was never going to work for them. Um, paid him five million to say thank you very much for your few months here. Even though he needs never work again now. I mean, he will. I wouldn't guess him, but he, he, you know, he could, five million. Thank you very much. He can go and put his feet up. We'd all like that, wouldn't we? And now they've got Conte in, who's gone in in a lot stronger position than he would have done had he accepted it at the start of the year. And I just think sometimes the board. I can remember, you know, years ago it used to be sack the board, sack the board, and obviously at Leicester, you know, we're not in that position. But at what point do you know? Does the owner say like we've got to literally you're picking the wrong people? I mean, I think, and I've said this for about the last twenty years. It's you know, the, the people who own football clubs don't really know much about football, and they're they're the ones, unfortunately, you know, making these decisions. And I think like Nuno. You know, I'm not saying I don't rate him as a coach because I thought he did great at Wolves, but I yeah. think it seemed like a desperation, you know, appointment for Tottenham. It's not who they wanted. You know, they're obviously in for Potticino, and then it was who's next and who's next. And I would imagine in between Potticino and, and Nuno, there would have been several more candidates who've turned mm. the job down, you know, that we don't even see about in the press where someone will put the feelers out, agents and what have you. And then, you know, so the whole thing starts on a negative. And unless he comes out of the blocks and wins the first so many games, you know, his head's always going to be on the chopping block. The fans want it. And then it's easy for, you know, uh, for Levy to deal with. And, you know, for me, Daniel Levy, probably a great businessman, but, you know, hasn't got a clue about, you know, football and what makes a football yeah. manager. Um, he's, he's brought in Conte, which I think is a good appointment because Conte's got the personality. He's going to come in, and I think a lot of people have, comment, uh, have you know, commented on the fact of his appointment that he doesn't take any prisoners. You, you yeah. either do what he says, how he wants you to do it, and if not, you fall by the wayside. And, and it doesn't matter who you are. And I think that's probably really important at Tottenham at the moment, that it can go in there and have a clean sweep. It's coming up to a transfer window, for one. Mm. I'm sure he'll be given some money to spend, and he's already got his targets from, you know, if you can believe what the press say. But I'm sure there's a few players there that might, you know, with Nuno, you know, not perform to what they can do, and, and he's going to wring the best out of them. And if he doesn't, they, you know, they'll go. And, and I think yeah. that's a really good thing for, for Tottenham as a club. I think Tottenham need that. They need somebody to yeah, go definitely. in and, and say, this is what I want. Yeah. This is what you're going to give me. You know, yeah. He's doing them a favour more than them doing him a favour, giving yeah. him a job. Andrew says there, we need to stop the parachute payments. And yes, maybe that is quite, you know, why should we, you know, we, we, we're almost, um, uh, you know, praising failure, aren't we? Yeah. You know, saying, I you think fail, I you're going down, we're going to give you some money. I know when I saw that comment pop up from Andrew, and it's a really good point because I think the reason they started the parachute payments, if you if you go back to the early days of the Bradfords who came up and then invested a lot in players, and they might have put them on three-year contracts, players they would have never ever dreamed of signing, like Collymore, you know, and yeah. players like that, paid them fortunes, and then 
if they got relegated, they couldn't afford to pay him. They couldn't get out of that contract. Obviously, uh, clubs are a lot more savvy these days in, uh, you know, how, how they invest in people. But I think that was the thing of it was saving clubs from bankruptcy. But it was just it was the like the involvement of the Premier League in its very very early days, and that parachute was to protect clubs. I think clubs are a lot more savvy now, and I think maybe you know it, it's something that needs looking at because. Like I say, Andrew's just put me on the spot. But when I read it, I kind of think, yeah, do you know what? You might have a point there because, you know, clubs might rely on it when they shouldn't do. And maybe they should be a bit more savvy with who they buy and what contracts they give out when they get promoted. It it, it is. But then, you know, you can't complain and say, well, Norwich aren't backing Farke with with, with new players. And then you can't go out and buy new players in case you do go back down. And I suppose, I don't know whether you can offer people one-year contracts or whatever, I, you know, that depends on the players, of course. Yeah. Um, Brad says here, um, good evening, Brad, thanks for joining us. Uh, have you recovered yet, Brad? He, he, he got beaten in the quiz. So just we have to be we have to be very very gentle with Brad <laughs> tonight. Um, Neil Warren is looking for work again. Uh, bet he'd go to them. That leads me on to a, a point that we actually we talked about uh, the other night on a different show is in some ways I think managers have a level at which they manage at. You know, you know the big Sam, you know that Neil, they're going to be managers that could probably take a club like a Norwich, normally with big Sam, like a West Brom, although he obviously didn't last season, but he can they can take clubs like that and maybe keep them in the Premier League, you know. But they, you know, give them a club with the finance and the players, say like a Man City or a Chelsea, and they possibly couldn't manage. But then, in in reverse, could Pep go into a Scunthorpe United and get them promoted without having the millions to spend that he's got? Do managers have their levels? Oof, it's a tough one. I think they do. You know, I'm not sure what, you know, Warnock or, you know, Pulis or Big Sam would do if they had a lot of money to spend. I mean, I think Big Sam had a bit more about him. Uh, but again, you know, it's that thing of, you know, giving the coffers to spend and do you spend it wisely and do you blend that into a team which you can see the likes of Pep have done and Klopp, who I think both of them are, you know, absolutely top, top managers. Um, I kind of think with them that they would get the best out of a lower team. I really do. Really I really nice. think they would get all the players and absolutely wring the best out of them. I mean, you know, you look at Salah, who was at Chelsea, and obviously he was a different place in his life, but, you know, didn't he's, he's nothing like he is now. And it, is that to do with Klopp? I think it probably is. I've always talked about John Stones and Raheem Sterling, particularly because they're England players, going to, you know, to Man City. And I'm, I know, you know, John Stones, I think he's a fantastic centre-half. And every now and then, he, he you know, he, he does something, you think, oof. But I think <laughs> Pep's getting that out of him, and I still think he's a world-class Centre off and Raheem's at a funny point in his career now where there's been talk about him leaving. But when he, you talk about him leaving and it's talk about him leaving, going to like places like Real Madrid, and I think he's a far better player at Man City than he was at Liverpool, and I think that's because of Pep. So, you know, I do think he would go down to a lower club and drag a player from where he is and just bring him, elevate him that little bit. I'm not so sure on the other managers, given the coffers, whether they could like bring in the yeah. top players and play the tactics that, you know, Pep and Klopp would see week in, week out. 
Well, talking about, uh, you could almost think I've scripted this, but, <laughs> but then, but then, when you watch the whole whole show, you went, "No, there's no way that's scripted." But talking about managers managing at a level, Eddie Howe, who sort of, you know, I, I've living down here just outside Bournemouth, I've I've known, uh, he took over literally just as I moved down to Bournemouth. Um, he's gone to Newcastle. Bit of a Nuno situation in the fact that you know he's not um, the first choice. If rumours had it, he wasn't even the second choice. That doesn't probably bother him because he's going to get a lot of money. And obviously, if he fails, you know, he's going to get a big payoff. Surely he's going into that job thinking, well, hang on, I'm here for one reason. Uh, and that's because I managed to keep Bournemouth in the Premier League, you know, for three or four seasons. But that's as far as I'm probably going to be allowed to go with Newcastle, because in a couple of seasons, if I can, you know, bring stability to Newcastle, they're going to want a a better manager. Or am I being am I being cynical in thinking that Newcastle will eventually want a bigger name? Well, I'm, I'm glad you've said that, Chris, because I've long thought on this show that we need to disagree more. And, I, and I'm really disagreeing. <laughs> we, do. we do, totally. But we just remember, I we do, do have control of the music. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a massive fan of Eddie Howes. I think what he did at Bournemouth was, yeah. I don't, you know, that is where, does does Pep and do Klopp take a club from where they were in absolutely the direst of straits and, and manage to get them to where they were? And on the budget that you were on, manage to keep them in, you know, in the Premier League, I mm. think. He's done an unbelievable job. Uh, I think he's a fantastic coach. For me, he's a future England manager. I think, I, I, you know, the, I, I think I, I hold him in that regard. I really think he's a great coach, and I think he's one of those that I think, with the better players, will flourish in himself. The one sort of thing when I'm looking at it is, and this is where we'll go back to like Conte at Spurs. Conte is a massive, massive personality. And, you know, I don't think Eddie has that. I think he's a fantastic coach. You know, like I say, his, his track record speaks for himself. Uh, you know, when they went down, it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, that it, you know, it was it, it was a tough league to be in on the budget that he had. So you can't really look at him and say, well, mate, you should have done better there. Uh, but I do feel like people like in Emery, who Newcastle obviously had a nibble at, Massive personality, Conte, mm. massive personality. You know, Benitez at Everton, not quite working for him, but a big personality. Klopp, Pep, you know, they are the people that you think if they went into Newcastle, they would definitely turn it around. I sincerely hope, and I do believe he will turn it around, uh, but he'll do it in a in a you know a sort of quieter manner uh, than the other managers. And that was my only thing when I saw it is that you know he, he's not a extrovert but no. he's a fantastic coach and um from everyone you speak to the attention to detail he, he puts into every training session every single day is unbelievable and I, I sincerely hope he's allowed to make a few signings in the summer keep them up build from that and then really given you know the means to go and put a team together that can go and win the league and i believe he's probably good enough to do it Brookline says their top three managers pep Clock, Tuchel, all vocal, animated uh, in, in the coach's box. 
Brendan, Ollie, quiet. Can we give him some screaming lessons? Uh, good evening, Brookline from America. Thanks for joining us. Dorco, managers sometimes complicate things too much, confuse the players. Perhaps teams would play better without any interference. Just get rid of managers altogether. Yeah, that's what Dorco say. I, I want to disappoint you now because I'm actually going to agree with you um, on that one. Is Like I say, when I came down to Bournemouth, the, the players and the owners, he wasn't manager then, uh, uh, Eddie Howe, and the players and, uh, and the owners were outside the pavilion in Bournemouth with buckets collecting money. And I know that they were literally, um, Krasner, whatever he was called, the administrator, was actually sat doing a TV interview about to wind the club up. And he looked down at um, the guy that was, was funding Bournemouth at the time, and he said, if you, if you nod, I'll know you're prepared to put the money in. And if you don't nod, I know you're not, and I'll shut the club down. And that was how close Bournemouth mm, came. Yeah, yeah. And then to take that club to the Premier League, amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. And I don't think he got the credit he deserved for that because that was the season, obviously, that Leicester went on and won the Premier League. And in fairness, that might have done Bournemouth a favour because it meant they could, like, you know, go under the radar, so to speak. I'm just looking, though, at, yes, he's taken them down. I don't think Bournemouth wouldn't have wanted to, they, well, they didn't want him to go. I know they didn't want him to go. and They would have been quite happy, like with Sean Dyche, for him to try and have a go at bringing them back up again. Uh, but it is almost like a Wimbledon, if you like, Bournemouth, because, you know, they've, they've got a ground which they don't really own. The, the car park is a, you know, municipal <laughs> council car park. The training ground is kind of added on at the side of the pitch. It, it's, you know, they've got an investor now, this Russian, but I don't know what money he's putting in. Maybe he's taking it slowly and, and gently, but it's just the Newcastle fans seem a little bit underwhelmed by his appointment. And I think they were probably hoping for that big name, that Conte, that Emery, um, Emery, Emery, uh, to, to, to come in. Uh, but I think that that will happen. I'd love Eddie, don't get me wrong, I'd love Eddie because I think he is a, a good manager. Mm. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying, Chris. And uh, But I think that the things that a lot of fans forget is that, you know, Conte's been in an English club and been sacked. Emery's been in an English club and been sacked. So they've been sacked for not being good enough. Now, whether that was right or wrong, but you know they, they've been relieved of the duties, you know, at a top top club, and then you say, well, you want him at our club. Well, he might go to your club and fail as well. You know, there's no given in the fact that you know people have had success in certain places and they go somewhere else, and you know they might not have that success. I, I just think with him, they, they've got someone who you know, I, I, I would I would have actually had him, you know, last time as the England manager. You know, it sounds daft, yeah. but and he'd not had any experience with big clubs and big players but I just feel he's just got this thing as a coach and you know the, the players seem to listen to him and I, and I really really hope he brings that to Newcastle I think the problem they've got at the minute is they are slightly adrift and that can really play on you because if you go into the next two or three games after the break mm. and you don't get the results that gap can then just become that a little bit bigger and it you know it accumulates the pressure It'd be great if they wouldn't win the first one you know, and, and take a little bit of pressure off and they've got that opportunity to build. And, you know, once he gets them out of that bottom three, I think you'll really, really flourish. I think that's the the real pressure is now is the first month, six weeks for him. Yes. He yeah. really needs, <clears throat> whatever the performances are, he needs results. 
good timing with the international break, obviously, because he's got, you know, I don't know how many of their players, if any, are going off on international duty, but he's got a couple of weeks to get settled in, get his message across to the players, get them doing, you know, and playing the way that he wants. And I guess, I guess fans look at it and go, yeah, Eddie Howe, that's the guy that took Bournemouth down. And maybe they should be looking at it and going, Eddie Howe, that's the guy that get Bournemouth in the Premier League for four seasons. Yeah, I think so. I think I think what he did is remarkable, and uh, there aren't actually many managers, you know, internationally, or, you know, any foreign manager, any English manager who could have done what he's done. You know, it's it's an unbelievable achievement. It's probably gone under the radar because no one will have even known that Bournemouth were in so much trouble when they were, and they've just quietly come up the leagues, and all these people that watch the Premier League not even entered their heads, and eventually. You know, they've come up and they've come up like another team, like a Norwich. And, and again, no one really gives that, you know, any, you know, feels there's any significance to that. But, you know, when you see the story and you really look into the detail, it's a, it's an unbelievable achievement what he's done. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 like I say, we, I think he'll do great. And I just hope he does. You know, it's one of them. He's a nice guy in football. He's done really, yeah. really well. He's got now probably the tools and the opportunity that he's always wanted you know, as a manager with some ambition to get mm. this opportunity now with the way, you know, that tran- uh, Newcastle's been transformed with the new ownership, you know, he must think, blimey, this is it. You know, this is yeah. this is the time and he will really, really, you know, want to do well and, and I sincerely hope he does. I think for me, uh, I suppose it is a, it is a pressurised job. He didn't have any pressure at Bournemouth. Well, say no pressure at Bournemouth. <laughs> Minus 17 points when you take over the club and you keep them up. That and you that's in the fourth tier, and you're about you yeah. know that that's pressure in itself. But we will we will see. Time will tell. And we need good English managers coming through. And I do wish him well. Um, but I just wonder how long he's got there, you know, with him say not 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 being the name. But we will yeah. see. Anthony says here he thinks Eddie will keep them up, but he's only given only been given eighty million to spend. But then again, we're talking January. We know that you know if Newcastle come knocking on the door for one of your players, you're going to say it's Newcastle. I'm adding ten million on here because a you know they've got the money, and b you know they're desperate for the players. But the thing is, in the position they're in. And I always liken this to when we went down to the third tier and um, Nigel Pearson came in. He never went out and bought a load of players. Yes, he bought a few, but he got quite a few on loan because he knew that if he went up, he'd want different players to come in. Yeah. And the players that Eddie needs to go and buy to keep him up are not those that if he's still there or any manager that's going to be there in three or four years' time, which is when they're going to be pushing, they've said, for the for the Premier League and the big, you know, the big titles, you're going to want different players. And 80 million, you know, so you don't want to, you don't want to spend 80 million on one player now because he's a big name, because he's probably not the sort of player that's going to keep you up. Now, and I think, you know, while Eddie's not been doing anything, he will have obviously been keeping, you know, tabs on absolutely yeah. everything that's going. I think there are some loan opportunities. There's some big, big players in Europe that aren't wanted at their clubs at the moment. And I'm, I'm sure yeah, they'd yeah. like it to be uh, offloaded onto someone else's wage bill. And that's something that, you know, Newcastle can facilitate at the moment. You know, if they wanted a Coutinho or a Hazard, I'm sure they could pay their wages without taking him and just say, you know, but we'll take that burden off you. We'll pay his wages and he can come play for us yeah. for a season. And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, you know, it, they're coming back. Uh, and they'll be looking at that now, like, like you know, like you've said, and I think that that's where it is. And it is, you know, they might 
you know, I think there'll be one or two key players that he knows he wants to bring in, but the rest do probably at the moment have to be, you know, loan signings that are just going to get him into the position where they want and then reassess it in the summer. Indeed, indeed. And we wish Eddie all the best. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like you say, he's a he's a nice guy as well. So uh, yeah, I, I do I do wish him all the best as I, as I know you do. Um, moving quickly on to the next point, and that is West Ham. Um, how far can they go this season? I'm on a show on Monday night with with the West Ham channel where they're going to be comparing their squad to the squad that we had that uh, won the Premier League. Um, Showing again as a fan, I know nothing about football because David Moyes is proving me wrong because I said last season was a one-off and they'd be back down to fighting relegation again. But he's also proving quite a few people uh, wrong at Manchester United. Did they get rid of him too early? I I wish West Ham all the best. If we're not going to get into that top four or the Champions League, I really hope they do because I like to see other clubs come in and kick the arses of the so-called greedy six and and put noses out of joint, beat Liverpool the weekend. Um, How far can they go? They seem now that they can sort of stick around there. Obviously, you know, they beat Liverpool. You know, it was no fluke. They didn't sort of park the bus and then hit them on the break. But, you know, they had a really good game plan where they did contain them and, and, you know, sort of get players you know, big numbers forward when they needed to. But I feel for them, I feel like they've got, I think, you know, they've got a decent squad, but I don't know how much depth they've got. So keeping everyone fit is absolutely key. If they keep yeah. everybody fit, yeah, they can do a Leicester, no problem at all. If they get a few injuries, you know, you think if, um, you know, Antonio or someone like that, you know, you know, drops out, then he'd be a massive, you know, uh, miss for them. So, um, like I say, keep everyone fit. They've got a chance. You know, if not, it's going to be a bit more difficult. I think the thing on Moyes, he's obviously a very good coach. He was, but it's another one. And again, I think I talk about this most most weeks as well, is that, you know, yeah. when you're loved as a manager, why do you why do you want to take that step somewhere else? And I think it would have been the worst time ever to become the next Man United manager when Ferguson left after mm. the success and the glory years and even the bit where he retired and he came out of retirement and had a few more glory years. And, the, yeah. you know, Man United were, you know, the team. To follow that was going to be, and it has been, impossible for, for, for anybody. And, mm. you know, to come out of Everton where you've got, a you know, a, a squad that you've had to work hard to... Mold them in the way you want them to play. They're not all superstars, but you've got them playing well. You've got them difficult to beat, and they're getting results. And Everton, all of a sudden, are thinking that you know it's quite everything's quite prosperous. What a great coach we've got here, great manager. Yeah. And then you go to Man United, uh, and then it just all you know falls by the wayside very quickly when you're in a high pressure. I always situation. say, Ferg, you knew what he was doing when he left that season. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. and. And the thing is, you know, he's gone out there and still on a high. Now, you know, if anyone turns mm. around and says to him and say, well, you know, I did my bit and I left and we were successful and everyone else has messed it up. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but, you know, the squad was ageing at the time as well. You know, and it was, he'd had all the young players, all the class of 92. He'd had all that success. He'd brought in the Van Nistelrooy's, the Van Persis, all that guy, you know, these great, great players. Mm. But it was all as a squad and as a manager coming to an end. And it did do. And it was it was a massive task one to follow Ferguson, and a, and a massive task really where he probably needed to totally you know revamp the squad, but didn't do that yeah. thinking he's in, inheriting 
something fantastic when it was probably past its, you know, sell-by date, sell you, yes. you yeah. know, uh, an impossible task. And, and it's proved impossible for everyone else that's followed him. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, the West Ham fans... Yeah, it's the second coming of David Moyes, and they were all sort of, oh God, you know, he kept us up last time, but he's, you know, and we all probably thought that's what they can do. But just looking at it now, I mean, you know, seven wins, they've only lost two, they've they've scored twenty three goals, which is you know more than Man City, and it's the third best in the Premier League. Um, yeah, they've conceded thirteen, but <laughs> that's a bit leaky. But um, again, you know, Liverpool have conceded eleven. But they've got four wins on the trot, you know, in the last five. I mean, the only thing I'm worried about is their inconsistency. But then, you know, with Leicester, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we know we're consistently inconsistent. You know, they, but they lost to Brentford, but then went on beat Everton, uh, beat Tottenham, beat Aston Villa, and as they beat, beat Liverpool 3 2. Um, I just. I really hope they, they 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 can do it. I am worried in the size of squad, though. This was something that they said at the start, and you know, and you mentioned about you know keeping players fit, Antonio and what have you. It is, but sometimes you just you know what it's like. I mean, you've been in the Leicester side that's been successful. You 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 ride on that emotion, don't you? You become to think that you, you know, we can win this. And this is just, oh, it's only Liverpool. We could really do this. And it almost carries you on. You do. And I think, if I just touch back on David, you know, I think, I think his, his reputation was tarnished terribly by the Man United, you know, time that he had there. And the fact is that he has always been a good coach, but that was just a bad chapter. But that's probably what he's most remembered for, just because it's such a big club. But, you know, on, on the team that they've got at the moment, yeah, they've conceded a few, but they're, they're always likely to score. And I think that's what they've showed. Uh, and there's some of the, you know, analysis um, that, um, you know, was after the weekend against the Liverpool, you know, the Liverpool game was really spot on. In They all know the jobs. He's really got yeah. them organised. You know, they don't particularly go and press high, but they press when it gets into their danger situations. And the way that they get bodies forward when they win the ball back and turn the ball over, and the way that Antonio bursts forward and makes himself available to relieve, you know, any pressure that they've got is always an outlet for them. It just feels like that everything they're doing is right. They're all clicking. They all know the jobs. They all know where to pass the ball. It sounds quite, you know... I don't know if it's dated or what, but it, it it's like when a player gets the ball in a certain position, it knows where it's going. And then yeah. the other player's running off him. And you can see it. They do it time and time and time again. And they're causing teams problems and they're scoring goals for fun. So they might concede, but at the moment, yeah. I think they're going on the mentality that if we score more than the other team, we're going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. But is that, as silly as it sounds, is that the good thing about having a small squad? Is that you know it's going to be the same players week in, week out? Uh, you know, I mean, I, when when we won it, we didn't have a huge squad, but the squad we had was was together. They fought for everybody. They were the underdogs. You could say all this about West Ham now, you know, and yeah. you, you, you've as long as you don't get the injuries, like I say, the small squad, you know, that player A is going to be there, whatever you're doing, and they're doing well in Europe as well. Yeah, I mean, I think as you just said it a few minutes ago, as well as you know, in, in my time at Leicester, that the, the success we had is, you know, there weren't the, the squads weren't that big then anyway, and some mm. obviously squads were bigger than ours, but we did have this really, you know, small nucleus, and you know, as long as we were all fit, 
you know, it, it sort of quite worked and we really sort of got results and dug in. And, and even if one or two were injured, we'd still have a, a little bit of backup. And I think that's what West Ham have got. You know, like I say, they look like they're in harmony. You know, they, they do, you know, they bring subs on and everything, you know, seems to be continuous in what they do, whoever comes on. And while they're doing that, you know, right now, you wouldn't want to bet against them whoever they're playing, especially after that, you know, Liverpool result, because it, it wasn't mm. a fluke. You know, they played ever so well. They scored some good goals. They caused Liverpool lots and lots of problems. And I, I think particularly we saw from the set pieces, which they obviously like work really, really mm -hmm. hard on. And they made Alice, you know, Alisson look on the day like an average keeper. And we all know he's probably one of the best keepers in the world. But on the day, he looked a bit of a flawed figure in that, you know, that Liverpool goal. And they've obviously done the homework on them. Yeah. I mean, whether they can go on and win the league, there's no reason why not. You know, we said this about Leicester, you know, every week when we won it. I don't know if they've got enough in the tank for that once we get into the, you know, the, the business end of the season over the, over the winter and the games pile up. Fourth place does look available, you know. Yep, Arsenal are on the run, um, but Man United... We said at the start, you know, the, I, I had Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, Man United nailed on as the top four, but... Man United seem to be on a self-destruct <laughs> system. Yeah. So that fourth position is, I think, up for grabs. And there's no reason why West Ham can't do that and have Champions League football next year. No, it's definitely up for grabs. Uh, and they've definitely got a chance. Uh, I think they're going to find it tough. I think one, one of the reasons is that uh, Arsenal's resurgence after a really, really bad start. They really seem to have got their act together. Uh, they look like they're really coming on strong at the moment. And the next couple of months will be quite crucial in that. Man United, for me, no, they just... Um, I mean, a, a lot of the analysis in the last few weeks about the way they don't press. They don't press as a team. They've got certain individuals who don't really press at all. And it's too easy for teams to play through them, as you know we did, as Liverpool did. And I mean, Man City, it was 2-0, but it was an absolute canter. You know, that's probably yeah. one of the easiest games, you know, uh, Man City have had this season. One of the interesting ones will be, uh, what will there be reaction at Tottenham with Conte? What players will he bring in? What is he going to ring out the players? You know, he's got Harry Kane, he's got Son, you know, he's got Alderberg, you know, he's got some fantastic players there. What is he going to ring out of them and, you know, the additions? And it will be interesting to see what their form is. Uh, but as you've touched on, and I, I think I said at the beginning of the season, Chelsea, for me, look, you know, so formidable at the moment. Mm. And, and and Liverpool will carry on and go on another run and win games where West Ham, can they go on the run that Liverpool do and win the, you know, be unbeaten for the 20 game? I'm not sure they yeah. can, whereas Liverpool will dust themselves off now and maybe go and do that again. Man City the same, Chelsea the same. So it's a yeah. tough one. It's not impossible. Uh, and on current form, they're going to do well. But I, I think there's just a few who've started slowly, who, who are probably going to be in the mix at the end. And I think it's going to be tough for them to hold that position where they are. But as a team now, they're doing fantastically well. Let's hope Leicester are one of those. Yeah, <laughs> Fingers crossed. Right, we're going to go on to a, just a couple because of times against. We're going on for a couple of quick fan questions uh, straight after this. <laughs> Indeed. Um, BBC home... Oh, thunder here. BBC homepage uh, on for Leicester City, uh, bbc.co 
uk forward slash sport forward slash football forward slash teams forward slash leicester city or just type in bbc leicester city tuesday talking point uh i supply that for the bbc it's called the roller coaster continues and it's all about brendan rogers this week so get on over there and and check that out uh it almost looks like i know what i'm talking about but <laughs> we all know better we all know better than that um you're supposed to disagree there, Julian. <laughs> just lost me for a minute there. I think it was the internet. <laughs> Thank you for nothing. Right. A couple of quick questions. Going back to David. Uh, who, I don't know if you're still with us. I hope you are, David. You popped this in right at the start. When a manager wants to change formation on the fly during a game, 4-4-2 in attack, 3-5-2 in defence, as a player, what or who is the trigger for that to take place? Uh, a, ch a change in formation is normally, um, I mean, one, it could be if it was an injury, you didn't have the right re uh, replacement, yeah. but I don't see that these days with the, you know, the amount of subs that you're allowed. I think really that's more, uh, how do we either defend a lead that we've already got, or uh, if it's a nil-nil and we're thinking, you know, we need, we need, to, we need to hold out for this because we're not on top at the moment, or if you're behind, it's how can we go and win this game? And I think managers sometimes will see, you know, a formation that they're settled in, but then they might also think, do you know, if we do that, it, it, you know, there might be a bit more, we might create a bit more. So, for instance, if you go for a 4-4-2, uh, quite a, you know, normal formation, you might want to pack your midfield. So then you go the 3-5-2 where you've got the three in the midfield there, which is outnumbering the, you know, the opponent's midfield. Obviously that, depending on your wing backs, can leave you a bit weaker on the, you know, on the, on the, on the wider side of the pitch. But um it's normally to affect a game, and it, like I say, it's if, if you're hanging on, um, yeah, do we go back to a back five and get everybody back, and we get a three in the front of them working really hard, and we get the strikers back in, or, or do we do it for a positive impact where we've got a back through and we get the wing backs really high on, two strikers and a strong three in the middle? So it, it's always about the state of the game and you know what you're trying to achieve with that game, and is it are you hanging on or are you trying to win the game? Yeah. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for your question there, David. Anthony is an Arsenal fan, but he says, Hi, Chris, there are no rumours of anyone joining Leicester in January, but if you decide anyone, what positions would you look at? Where do you think we need strengthening, Julian? <laughs> <laughs> that hot potato that I've just handed you there. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough one, and I don't like talking about it because, you know, it's the position mm. I played in, and I've had good times there and bad times there. But it, it's just the sense of defence at the moment. It just seems, you know, is Evans, is he is he getting a bit too far past where he should be to compete at that level? You know, I don't mm. think he is. I think he's the, the voice of reason on the pitch. But when he's not there, we miss him. We need someone to fill that void and there isn't anyone at the moment, you know. Yeah. Uh, Sayunchu, great last season, for me, seems a bit lost. And every game, I actually I actually see something in a game every time I'm watching him where I think, oh, you're out of position there, mate. Or, oh, yeah. you know, you shouldn't have done that or you're the wrong side. I've seen a lot of tiny mistakes that not are not accosting us but it's just not normal for a centre-half to be in the positions that sometimes he takes up. Vestergaard having a tough one when he comes in and he's coming to what he thinks is a good team and, you know, we've had the bad start and does that affect mm. him? You know, Amartes, you know, a young one who's coming in and, again, at times great, sometimes not so great. It's all a bit unsettled in that area. And I think everywhere around that area, we've got fantastic midfield. We've got the strike force. We've got Daka coming through when Vardy's not there. 
you know, Kalichi, we've got Madison, we've got Harvey Barnes, we've got Pereira, we've got Justin James, we've got Luke Thomas, mm. you know, Castagna, we've got all that. And the keeper, one of the best in the league, it, we just need to get that bit right. And while it's a bit sad that we've brought someone in already, you know, before the season started, I still feel like it needs, you know, yeah. something something else in there that's sort of, you know, maybe the final sort of piece of the puzzle. And I, and I think we're suffering there. And it's a difficult one because I don't think there's an obvious replacement that I can think of. Um, and it's a, but... it's, a, it's a bit unfortunate on, on Vestergaard because I don't think we would have bought him if we hadn't had the injury to Fafana. Yeah. So he was yeah. a rushed by. And yes, we probably did need somebody else back in there as cover. But we'd, I think had we had time to maybe make look at things, it might not have been that player, which, which is a shame on him. But, but, but there we it, it go. It is, and I, I agree with you on that, Chris. I, I think the whole sort of situation. But, you know, the, the one thing you hope is that he, he works hard, the manager looks after him, he comes back in the team and he starts mm. to perform as we've seen him perform for Southampton. Uh, and, and and if he does that, you know, it could turn out to be a great signing. It's just right now, if you said to me, what is the weakness in the team? You know, it, it, it lies it in, is, in, that, yeah. in that position. And like I say, I hope they can all turn it around. There's a big break on now, come back stronger and, and let's see where we are. And, and fingers crossed they do. I'm going to sneak a quick what a cheeky question in here for myself. How frustrating is it for you watching a game of football and can you actually enjoy it? Or do you sit there as an ex-player <laughs> going, is that in a position? What's he doing? What are he doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the trouble is we all think we were better than we actually were. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's part of the problem. And the other part of the problem is I watch a lot of uh, games with my lad, who's he's fourteen and he's doing yeah. really well. He needs to grow a bit more before before he starts to sort of get to where we think maybe. But and I'm always talking to him about games. But then it, I feel like an old man where I'm always relating to back in my day, back in my day. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of it, you know, it focuses around the diving, the players yeah. falling over. You know, in my day, if someone hit you, you wanted to go and chin them back or you get in the face. You, you <laughs> never ever showed that you were hurt, whatever they do. I've had my nose broken, I think, three or four times in my career. Right. I've blood mm. all over my face. And the first thing you want to do is get up and, and show him that you're not hurt. And these days, it's it's so the opposite. I find it so embarrassing and, and horrible to watch. Yeah. I really, really do. And I, I really don't like that. And and then there are the other bits that you've touched on, Chris, you know, positionally and stuff like that. And I, I talk about, you know, one of my biggest frustrations or player of frustrations is Pogba. I think he should dominate every game he plays in. And I, I find him, you know, I think for me, if I was Solskjaer, I'd be looking to, to move him on, get the money in and get someone else in. Because while he is a fantastic talent and we can see moments of brilliance that he provides, mm-hmm. he, he should be doing that every minute of every game for me and because and, yeah. he's got that ability uh, and he doesn't. So I get frustrated with some of the top players. And I get frustrations with the way they perform on the pitch in the reactions to contact, which I really, really can't abide yeah. to see, if I'm honest. Yeah. Brad says there, it's talked about every week, but as a player, how disruptive is it when you're training and you're missing players every training session? Um, I'm not sure it is on, on the session. I think that that comes out into the you know, the team on the Saturday. And I, I sort of never really thought about this until years later, but my debut, which was absolutely horrific, because I've been quite honest about over mm. many a, a chat that we've had, and, you know, I was awful. But on that day, I think while she was missing, I think 
Simon Grayson played in midfield, centre midfield. You know, I played at the back. I think it might have been Colin Hill or someone like that. And it was a really disjointed team against Sheffield United. And we didn't perform well. But, you know, after that, when we got the injuries back, we were a, we were a really good team. And I looked and it was it was so tough in just the fact that the personnel was missing. Obviously, Steve Walsh, a massive, you know, part of that campaign that we had and just a, like a rock at the back and he wasn't playing that game. So I think not disruptive in the training sessions, more disruptive when you come to a Saturday and you realise that you've got, you know, like we've talked about West Ham, if Antonio wasn't available, who takes his place and what does he offer? And can yeah. he live up to Antonio? And probably not, you know, yeah. sad as it is. Uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, and the last question here, then we'll, we'll, we can let you go because I do know you. You have got the photo shoot booked for Horse and Hounds that, <laughs> in for later on tonight. Uh, Terry, great. Has a question every week. Bless him. Uh, when it's strongly rumored that a manager could be leaving a club, this uh, this can have an effect on a player's future and hence causes tension. Does this nervous tension go onto the pitch? Uh, it's a good question, that Terry, and it's a it's a funny one. I think where, as a player at a club, you know, there's a big squad. Are you integral in that first team? Does the manager get on with you? Are you his favourite? You know, are you are you selected? You know, you've always you always know where you are in a manager's mind. I always think, you know, I knew where I stood, and when I sometimes haven't been in favour, I've, I've been aware of that. And sometimes you're thinking, you know. If he moves on, great, you know, and, I, and I've had that feeling myself. Unfortunately, it wasn't the right manager that came in uh, <laughs> afterwards. So, uh, which Be careful was, what you wish for. I know, I know. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was a guy who left. I, I had a season at Bristol City, and I played the first seventeen games. Manager came in, didn't play for the rest of the season, and I was hoping. I can't remember his name now. He, he managed Aberdeen, and he, he was uh, he liked to play football, and I was I was hoping he came in and. He didn't, and Tony Pulis came in, and I never played for the club again. So that, that was, yeah. you know, that's, and, and that's simply how it can be. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't affect the performance on the pitch, in my opinion. Uh, but it can, you know, it's a funny mindset in a club where, you know, like I say, you'll have your first 11, and there might be one or two players that suit a, a different manager. And you'll find that when a manager comes in, and all of a sudden, a player out of the blue you know, gets promoted out of nowhere and comes in the team. I think you look at uh, Lampard coming into Chelsea and, and Mount coming in, you know, and um, Tammy Abraham coming in, whereas if another manager had come in, they wouldn't have had the opportunity. And he's actually done well for Mount. Uh, and, and Abraham, yeah. who's gone on to play for, you know, he's playing for Roma and scoring goals. So, yeah. you know, that that's the difference that a manager coming in can have. And it, it's whether it suits you or not. It doesn't affect your performance on the Saturday doesn't affect the team on the Saturday, I don't think, but it can affect you personally and whether where you fit in that manager's plans. Brilliant. Julian, as always, uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, saying Pleasure as it is. The, the one show that we do every week where, where sense is spoken. <laughs> <laughs> I, keep, I keep having to say these things and I don't have to send you a check. <laughs> no worries, mate. As always, brilliant. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much for that. And uh, as long as you're, you're happy, we'll see you next week. No worries, Chris. Cheers, mate. Brilliant. Thanks so bye much, bye. mate. Take care. Cheers. All the best to your family. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks to Julian there. It's great. It's great to see things from a, um, a, a ex-player's point of view. Uh, we actually disagreed this week. Um, don't know if that says more about him or me. Uh, hi, Maisie. Thanks for popping in at the end. How's your hole? Don't ask.
Don't ask people. <sighs> Turf Morehouse, Dan. Uh, you, you, you're late, Dan. You're late. Have you got a note from your mother? Hello, Mrs. Riley. Coming in at this time, I don't know. You know, you know that you know quarter past quarter past ten nearly. You should have been in at nine o'clock. We won't allow you out again. Anthony up the city. Uh, indeed. Um thanks to everybody for, for, for popping on tonight. Um just go through a few names. Uh Andrew, Luca popped on at the start, David. Uh, Andrew, Facebook user, I don't know who that was. Anthony, thank you very much. Um, Brad popped on. Cheer up, Brad. Um, <laughs> I'm going to burst into song then, but I won't. I won't do that to you. Brookline, Dorco, thank you very much. Um, Terry, as always, sir, thank you very much. Maisie, like I say, keep looking after your hole. Keep filling it in. Thank you so much for joining us, even, even down at the end. Um, yes, always late to the party. I will. I will have words with your mother. I'll put a note in with the next maternity check. And he was on a podcast. Well, you can talk for England, so I'm sure that was a long one. That seriously, nice to see you, Dan. Thanks everybody for popping on. Um, we are back with something really, really good tomorrow. Are you ready for it? We've got this. the football show tomorrow night seven o'clock and it's what i like to call the proper team's best 11 we forget we forget the esl6 we're talking proper teams with proper fans realistic fans shall we say and we are going to pick a best 11 from the rest of the teams because there are 14 other teams. I know Sky sometimes find it hard to accept this. And I know some of the fans from the top six clubs, or top six, what am I saying? They're not anymore, are they? Some of the fans from the ESL six think that they are, you know, the, the, the Premier League revolves around them. But there are 14 other teams. And we've got Brad again will be joining us. Uh, Jack from um, Match Day Vlogs and um, is a Southampton site. And Rob from Forge from Iron, which is the West Ham site, will be popping on and we'll be picking a best of the rest. So if you are a Burnley fan, if you are a West Ham fan, if you are a Norwich fan, see whether we've got any of your players in. Yeah, maybe not Norwich. But um, and don't forget as well, if you want to laugh, if you want to laugh, go on to Lester Till I Die TV. First thing you need to do is press subscribe. Um, second is check out the show from earlier on. It's under the quiz headline. There's, there's all different uh, sections on it under the quiz section. And it was the race from earlier. And it was Brad versus Quizmaster Craig. It was a great show. Great laughs. Um, we will see. We will see. Um, welcome back, um, Luca. Nice to see you back. Pope is in Pope in goal. There's your keeper. 
Casper. Casper Schmeichel. But then again, it's not down to me. It's down to Brad, Jack and Rob, unless they can't agree. Talking to podcasts, as um, Dan was there, you can catch Lester Till I Die and ask um, your smart speaker, if you listen on smart, smart smart speaker, I've not had a drink tonight, to play the podcast Lester Till I Die. You have to say it in full. We're everywhere. Google, uh, Apple, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Anchor, to name but a few. In fact, on the play out, you can see where you can uh, listen into us. Thanks for joining in. Thanks for Julian. See you tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Stay safe. Good night now. Hello, Matt Elliott here. Be sure to watch Lester Till I Die TV on YouTube and follow all their social media platforms for the latest updates and news on Leicester City Football Club. Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Ultimate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? A participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.